Hi, and welcome to Season 5 of Business Book Talk. Hope you're going to enjoy this new season. I'm really excited about it. I'm sure you will really enjoy some of the books that we have planned. So let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Bob here again. Uh, I've got one less, one more. Follow your heart. Be happy. Change slowly. I've got Robbie Vorhaus here on the show today, and I tell you, we've just been talking for 10 or 15 minutes. It's been amazing. I should have turned on my recorder 15 minutes ago, but you know what the heck? This is going to be an amazing chat. So, Robbie, thanks very much for coming on the show. Oh, Bob, I'm so grateful to be here. I'm a fan of yours, and you know, I feel like I've become a um, an evangelist for following your heart. I just see how when people choose, they make the conscious choice to follow their heart. Um, how it transforms their lives on both small and 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 a big basis. So I'm I'm grateful to be here, and uh, my only regret is that I can't be with you personally. Well, you know, with today's technology, it's almost like we're in a coffee shop chatting and and having a great time. You know, I'm looking at you as as a new great friend. That's really great because I was thinking exactly the same thing. I was you know, just going over some of the stuff that, that you've done, uh, both in your past and that you're doing now. And we share a lot in common of, you know, and including both uh, starting our professional careers as uh, newspaper photographers. Hey, I wanted to ask you, you know, you, you've had a, a pretty bumpy uh, all over the place. You've met some amazing people, but you, you had a pretty rough start. Do you want to Give us a, a quick synopsis of why you ended up like that so people that are listening to the show can understand. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, my in one less, one more, you'll, you know, you'll read that as a teenager, I was homeless uh, for a while, and then I was a, a drug addict for 11 years, uh, addicted to Valium. And my, my mother, my father had left home. Um, we had grown up a Jewish family, New York City. My dad got a job in uh, Philadelphia at a as working as the advertising manager of a cigar company. And so we all moved down to, to Philadelphia, but he hated the job. My parents probably should never have been married. And uh, both of my parents uh, drank and um, eventually my dad just left home. So my mother was really, you know, freaked out about it and did the best that she could. But um, I was, I had dyslexia and I would, I had at the time, you know, this was in the sixties, I had ADHD, but nobody had a, a name for it. So my mother got me a prescription to Valium uh, to calm me down and the doctor just prescribed it. And back then you could, you know, renew it whenever you wanted. And, you know, when you wanted to up the prescription, you just told the pharmacist that you wanted more. So I, you know, started taking more and more Valium as a teenager. My Again, as my father had left home and I was kind of in charge of raising um, my brother and sisters. So I, I flunked out of high school uh, you know, continued, you know, taking the drugs. And eventually once, once my mother, you know, took the family and, and moved away, moved out of Levittown, Pennsylvania, I was kind of stuck and I didn't have anywhere to go. So I was on the street and, but I, I pulled myself back up and I said, you know, I told, you know, I told God, I said, look, if you, this isn't a religious story, it's just a, a real story. I said, you know, I believe that I have a greater purpose. You know, if you help me out of this situation and get me off the street, I will dedicate my life to doing what it is that my purpose is that you wanted me to do. And very shortly, I found an apartment, went to work at the newspaper as a photographer, 
got a job in uh, Des Moines, Iowa, working in radio, went from uh, radio to television in Kansas City, Missouri. And in Kansas City, I got the break of my life, and I came back to New York and went to work for CBS News and um, <clears throat> went to work for Dan Rather. And I was in my 20s, and uh, Dan Rather said to me, he said, how is it possible that a kid with no college from a broken home can have a job working among, how did you get your job here working among all these Harvard and Yale and Columbia uh, graduates? And I said, well, Mr. Rather, good luck and prayer. And he said, he stuck out his big paw and he said, well, welcome to CBS News. And you're my new best friend. <laughs> and, and really he, Bob, he, Bob, Dan Rather is, is the reason that I'm sitting here and talking with you. Um, he championed me at CBS News. He, um, you know, again, where all these other kids were doing great stuff along with me, but I, I never felt entitled. I felt as though, you know, there was always that insecurity that I had from, you know, having a GED, a high school equivalency and no college. So I worked very hard and I became the, um, executive assistant to, uh, the president of CBS news. And then I became director of advertising and promotion for CBS news and then um, I was promoted when um, uh, Howard Stringer, who was running, um, who's running Sony now, or was running Sony, Sir Howard Stringer, became president of CBS Television. Um, he offered me the job in corporate communications at CBS Television, and um, it was a. It's been an incredible run. That was 25 years ago. I then made the decision to. Uh, uh, you know, I wanted to build a public relations firm and advise leaders on um, leadership and crisis and, uh, you know, how, how, how to really to move their vision forward. And my business took off and we, were, we won awards for one of the best places in America to work and best places for women to work. And it was just been an amazing ride. And 10 years ago, um, I made the decision that I no longer wanted to uh, run a PR agency that I really wanted to work more one-on-one -on -one with individual leaders, world leaders, celebrities, entrepreneurs, uh, clergy, uh, people who, who were in leadership position who really wanted to focus on their vision and making the world a better place. And that's what led me to the book and that's what led me to you. So um, I hope, are you still awake? <laughs> Well, you know, you've mentioned you, I've got three words that I put down here. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit. These are gonna be our next uh, three questions. Uh, you mentioned uh, well, you didn't actually use the word mentorship, but that's what you describe when 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 Dan and and you probably had some other key people in your life that mentored you. They said, "Hey, look, at I'm gonna champion you." I believe in you, I get what you're about, and I'm going to help you move forward. Do you think that in businesses today that not enough people do that? Well, I think that not enough people, the answer is yes. I think that not enough people look for mentors. I think that not enough people offer to be mentors. And I think that very few people truly understand what a true mentorship is. A mentor is literally the voice of God. It is the voice of someone, and if you look at um, all great stories from, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi to, you know, the, the old grandfather or the, you know, the old boss, 
but it's a mentor in a movie or a story is usually the person who's a little older and wiser. And in storytelling, they're literally called the voice of God. A mentor is someone who has no agenda other than to take their experience, what they know, how they can see further to the horizon, and to help you if, and this is the big if, Bob, if you want to have a mentor. Most people feel that all they want to do is they want to make more money, they don't want to put in the time, they want to get promoted, and they're not willing to learn, they're not willing to gain the experience, they're not willing to gain the depth. So it's, it's, it truly is a relationship. Uh, Dan Rather was my mentor. Um, I proved to him that I was willing to work 25 hours a day, eight days a week, um, that I loved television, that I loved news, that I loved storytelling. And I asked him, you know, there was um, in, in Buddhism, there are a lot of monks will say that they will not become someone's master until they're asked three times. Because so often we'll say to someone, oh, this person's worthy of my mentoring them, and they really don't want it. They don't, they don't care or they don't understand it. Or they'll ask quickly, can you help me? But they may not really mean it. So that's a great question. I do believe in mentors. I write about mentors and one less, one more. Um, and I believe that we have every human being has the most appropriate mentor that we'll ever have in our life, and that's our heart. And if we follow our heart, if we listen to our heart, and we're willing to, to, to build that relationship with our heart, that will be a great mentor, and it will lead us then to physical mentors in the real world. And Oprah, by the way, said I believe it was her third grade teacher was her mentor who helped her to believe that she could do anything. Uh, there, everyone, most well-known people will say that they have had mentors. And my wife, Candace's mentor was her father. My mentor was Dan Rather. Uh, now let me ask you, did you have a mentor? Yeah, I've had several. My, my first major one was Mike Gluss, uh, who was the head photographer at uh, the first newspaper I worked at. And, and uh, I, I, interestingly enough, I am dyslexic as well. And uh, not an extreme dyslexic, but definitely I had a problem with reading and, and writing and all that type of stuff. So school for me was very, very difficult. And uh, the story behind me becoming a photographer was I joined a class called Career Explorations, not because I wanted to discover what my career was going to be because I already knew I want to be a photographer. So I needed a piece of paper that would enable me to basically uh, get into a, a magazine. I figured, oh yeah, I'll join this class. I'll get this piece of paper. I'll get me the internship and that's what's going to get me in this company. So I was always thinking strategically. And I met this wonderful guy called Mike Gluss and he was this very offhanded guy, had a corn cob pipe, uh, always had a jean jacket on. And uh, boom, we connected and we had a lot of fun and uh, I just kept on going. And the owner of the company would run into me and uh, I would say, hey, <clears throat> hey, how's it going? How's it going? And he didn't even know who the heck I was. I just arrived and I stayed for two years. Um, I wanted to ask you, 
Uh, you, you right now, what you've done is, is you, you know, you've had this amazing career, you've done some amazing stuff, and then you, you stepped away from that to help people in crisis. In fairness, business people, leaders, celebrities, there are people all over the world who are in terrible crisis in their relationships or with their health. My job is to help leaders and, and entrepreneurs and celebrities, right? You, you know, you can be the biggest CEO with all these people looking at like like you're a, a mentor or a godlike figure or somebody that, oh my God, I can't even talk to that person. They need people that they can sit down with and say, look, at, I'm having a crisis here. What do you recommend? Just somebody to bounce off. And so what I wanted to ask you is, do you think that many, many crises could be handled better because they take it too seriously? They don't look at it as an opportunity. They look at it as like, oh, it's a negative thing. And what am I going to do? And they kind of have this knee jerk reaction instead of stepping away from the crisis and saying, how can I make this an opportunity instead of a crisis? Well, that's a wonderful question because the crisis by its nature is simply the revelation of some truth. And we all experience crisis in our lives, um, whether on a large scale or on a smaller scale. And we always think of a crisis as something negative. But in fact, if uh, a crisis would be, if, for example, uh, tomorrow night is the uh, president of the United States State of the Union address. Um, and if President Obama were to hold up my book and to say, you know, here's an example of one less, one more. And that's what we need to do with the Congress that would be a crisis for our publisher and for everyone else. And it's a good crisis because it's a break in the normal routine. And uh, so when, when someone in a business, uh, if, if they get a very large order or if someone in their organization does something criminal or if um, there's a, a crisis of health, or if all of a sudden someone's discovered, you know, that they, um, we've all thought that they're straight and they turn, you know, they decide to come out, that they're gay at the last minute. Um, this is simply a break in the normal routine that has to be dealt with and that whether or not we accept this or not, every single crisis results in change, right? So... Here's, so for example, if someone, God forbid, gets a, um, if they find out that they're sick, or if someone finds out that their spouse has been cheating, or that they find out that their partner has embezzled their money, or in fact, they discover that they're going to get a billion dollar order. All of that is true. It's already truth that's now revealed. And it's a break in the normal pattern. So the question in every crisis is, it's never what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens to you. And that's why one less, one more is to its core is about choices. If our house is on fire, if there's a sickness, if we feel a burning in our heart to leave our job and to become a cartoonist or to become a sculptor or to travel around the world helping homeless children, that calling, that something is going to break apart. And now in a crisis, there's always a trial. And the trial is always not what happened because it's what happened. The trial is what you do with it. And that's the, that's the evolution of crisis is, are you going to try to spin your way out of this? Are you going to try to cover up a truth, which never works? Or 
are you going to deal with this crisis and and use it for some form of good, to, to for some form of change? And there are countless examples. Um, Stephen King was hit by a van on a dark main road and went into a terrible depression, nearly died, and finally realized, you know, what am I doing? Um, you know, I'm wasting my career, you know, and then snapped out of it and went back and used that experience in his writing. Julie Andrews lost her voice in a, in a botched operation. I can tell you countless people who get themselves into a crisis situation. Um, some of it is at their own hand by not preparing or by doing things that, you know, people, it, it's, it's a fascinating thing, Bob, but many leaders and many celebrities and many sports stars think that it can never happen to them. Whatever it is, I won't be caught. It can't happen to me. It won't happen to me. And yet there's no reason why it can't. And when it does, then they have to deal with it. So do they, do they change? What choices do they make? And that's why in One Less, One More, it, it is such an important business book because it helps leaders. It helps entrepreneurs. It helps anyone who is trying to achieve some dream, some desire to fulfill something in their life. It's what choice am I going to make? Is it going to be for my head where I try to think my way out of this? Or am I going to recognize that this is a reality? And now how can I use this to make me and the world and the, and the people around me better for it? I wanted to say that, that you know, the, the, the third thing was uh, make a decision. And this gets us right into the book because this is what this book is about, is how to make coherent decisions. If you, wanna, if, if you wanted to get it down to its essence... That, to me, is what I think this book is about. Um, and it's broken up into 10 sections, and each section has a less section and a more section, and a less section and a more section. So let's break that down. What do you mean by using the word less, and what do you mean by using the word more? Well, if you were to ask, there, there was a very famous sculptor named Henry Moore, and the a reporter was doing a story on him and standing there when Henry Moore was finishing one of his famous horse sculptures. And this was a, uh, a sculpture from a one, one piece of rock, black rock. And he had carved out of that this magnificent horse. And you could see the musculature in the horse. You could see the wind going through the horse's um, mane. And it was all just one piece of rock. And the, and the reporter said to him, how is it, you know, Mr. Moore, that from this one piece of rock, you're able to create this magnificent sculpture of a horse? And Henry Moore famously said, son, I, I really don't understand what the big deal is. I simply take one piece of rock and cut away everything that doesn't look like a horse. <laughs> now, that's incredibly simplistic, of course. But the point is, is that most people today don't know what they want to do in five years. Most people have a vague idea of where they want to be, what they're going to do, who they, you know, again, if they're married, what they want their marriage to look like, what they want their kids to do, what they want their career to look like. But everyone knows 
in this moment, what are the things that don't feel good? What are the things that I don't like? What are the things that don't feel right in my heart? Am I overweight? Am I smoking? Am I lying? Am I gossiping? Am I working for a jerk? Am I married to the wrong person? Am I single but I want to be married? Am I married and I want to be divorced? Am I in, um, if I, am I in the automotive industry but I really want to be in the environmental systems industry? Am I, I've, I have this book inside of me but I'm not writing. Why am I not writing? Why don't I get up earlier? Why am I not walking? So the less part of that, Bob, is, is that we all know in any moment that there are specific things in our life that don't feel right, that aren't aligned with what it is that we feel is moving us in the, direct, in the direction that we want to go. That's the one less. The one more is what is it that we can do on a daily basis to pursue our curiosity, to pursue our passion, to pursue our, our heart's calling. And, you know, people will say, well, I always wanted to work with horses, but I have a job. I work 10 hours a day. I've got three young kids. How can I possibly work with horses if that's my one more? So I know what my less is. My less is that I'm doing this and I want to spend more time with my kids. I know that my less is I'm not eating as healthy as I should. I know that my less is, is that I suck up to my boss too much and I hate myself for it. But what can I do about the more? And the more simply means is that, if, for example, if you want to work with horses, go to horse blocks. Find a stable in your town or somewhere where you can once a week muck out a stable for for free. But the point is, is that we all know, and you asked about the less, and I'll stick on the less. Every part of our life is like a breath. It's like an ocean wave. Comes in, it goes out. Our breath comes in, it goes out. The wave comes in, it goes out. We know that nothing is good or bad except by comparison. And just as Henry Moore said, cut away everything that doesn't look like a horse. We are all born with a purpose. And that purpose is to follow our heart and to find what it is that brings us joy. What is it that, that we want to express? What is it in our lives that makes us so unique? And again, I, I know I'm cutting myself off, but I want to say that scientists say that since the beginning of time, there have been, up until now, 100 billion people. Right now on the planet, there are a little over 7 billion people. Any scientist, any doctor, anyone will tell you on a physical level, since the beginning of time, there has never been a human being remotely like you on any level, physical, emotional, spiritual. It's, it's, it's unbelievable, but it's true that there has never been another human being like you. And if you don't believe that you were born with a special purpose to express and to experience something unique, then you're robbing yourself of your gift of life. And you're robbing yourself 
and you're robbing the people around you of your uniqueness. So the one less is, what is it that takes us off our path of uniqueness, of passion, of curiosity? And what I talk about in, in, in One Less, One More is, and you're right, the essence of the book is choices. In every moment, we have a choice. Are we going to make this moment better or worse? Are we going to follow our heart or are we not going to follow our heart? Are we going to allow the, the universe to define us or are we going to define the universe? Are we going to create our future or are we going to let our future create us? And the one less is, is that in every moment, and, and again, the, the beauty of the book is, is we know scientifically that all you need to do is consciously every day make one less choice that is not aligned with what feels good or is with your heart's purpose and consciously choose one more thing that is. And now you're on the path of change. Mm, so true. You know, uh, you know, you you're mentioning that, and and I was thinking back to some of those those choices that I made, uh, pretty radical choices. Um, I would get a huge influx of positive energy when I made those decisions. I would I would have this joy in my heart, my chest would expand like it was almost exploding, and and when I made those type of decisions, like wow, that's a crazy decision. But you know what? I'm going to do that because suddenly I have this incredible amount of energy uh, to go forth and do it. So I think that's the universe basically telling you or, or, or your body uh, telling you that, yes, this is something that we could get into and move forward. You know, Bob, our, our body, it is the most extraordinary feedback mechanism. And we know and we can feel it that when we meet someone that we don't like, we feel it. When we meet someone that we're drawn to, we feel it. When we meet something that um, makes our exactly as you said – that makes our hearts sore. There was a, a man who told me that he took a job as a um, sewer cleaner um, and he did it just to make money. But one of the things that he realized is, is that if there was also sewers to be clean, there were septic systems to be clean. So he, instead of working for a public company, went to work for a private company. And then he realized that he was really good at, he, he wasn't, he, he didn't connect to literally the crap and he discovered that there were ways that he could do it better and, and more efficiently. And from that, then he realized he was also very good at business. And then what he did is, is he said to the guy who had had this business for a long time, I'd like to, you know, work on learning this business and take it over and buy it from you, which he eventually did. And he then went on to discover some, uh, incredible systems of how to scale um, this, set, you know, this set the cleaning business, and he also learned that there were certain biomechanisms that he could um, uh, patent. He went on to be an incredible, incredibly wealthy guy simply by choosing to do more of following his curiosity taking the risks and growing. And that's an example when people say, oh, you know, I want to follow my heart, but I can't go into the movies. Or I want to write a book, but I can't write a book. 
And that's what One Less, One More is about. It's slow. That's why the subtitle is follow your heart, be happy, don't do happiness, be happy, and change slowly. Because the things that grow quickly in nature are fire, cancer, and weeds. You know, that's very interesting because you were mentioning the technique of, of discovering something that's a negative in your life or something that, that you shouldn't be doing, a less, and saying, okay, I'm going to get rid of that less and then I'm going to pick something that I think is, is going to bring me forward. And if you're doing it slowly, it gives you the luxury or the opportunity of looking back and saying, hey, this, uh, this thing that I've chosen as a more, is, it's turning out to be a less. So it's, begun, it's going to become a less. And I think that's all part of it as well is like you don't have to lock in. Okay, so, you know, we, we've, we've talked a lot about functionality and stuff like that, but let's dig down to less and more. Fundamentally, where is the less and where is the more? The first step to, to finding happiness, to finding joy, to finding personal mastery is to start now. Not later, tomorrow, next year, after school or when you feel better. You have to start now. Then the next thing is, is that you have to make a conscious decision to follow your heart, be happy, and to change your life. And what that means is, is that you need to at least consider that you were born with a purpose and that that purpose was to discover what it is that makes you happy, what it is that brings you joy. Because when we're happy, then we can change. And I'm not, I'm not talking about a happiness where you're walking down the street skipping and smiling all the time. That's not real. This isn't a self-help book that says you can be happy all the time. What it means is, is that at any moment, your choice is to be in control of yourself, to be aligned with your heart's calling, and to make everything better within your power, better than you found it. So even when, when people, when something, when they lose a job, or they, they lose a spouse, or they're confronted with something, a really tough decision, it's your head's telling you something, your heart's telling you something. When you choose to come from your heart, you will always feel this aha, this connection. That's what we're talking about. And that's one of the reasons why we say, Bob, change slowly is because you can't go from one to a hundred overnight. You can't fall in love, get married, have kids overnight. You can't make a decision to change from one job to a new occupation in overnight because something, you're going to break the system. It's not natural. So all we're suggesting in one lesson, one more is, is that you consider that you were born with a purpose. That purpose is to feel happy, which is a feedback mechanism for telling you when you're aligned with your heart's purpose than to choose one less thing every day that's not, that doesn't feel good. Maybe you lie, cheat, steal, or maybe it's not that profound. Maybe you worry a lot. Maybe you're critical a lot. Maybe you're judgmental a lot. When you consciously choose one less and mathematically by choosing one more to say, instead of being critical, I'm going to be complimentary. Instead of always telling my kids what's wrong, I'm going to consciously tell them what's right. You've now 
change the future. And when you do that on a day-to-day level and recognize that you're doing this to be on a path to fulfill your dreams and desires, to fulfill your in, in your personal goals, now you're, this is your call to adventure. This is what everyone, whether in a movie or a story or when you hear people say that they're following their hearts or who are living the life that they want to live, they're on this path. It's not that they've reached the destination. It's just they're talking about being on the journey. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. And, and you use some really key words there. It's like get out of the automatic functionality of life, become conscious, become aware of where you are right now. And by becoming aware, then you can tap in and realize like, am I happy right now or am I numb? And if you don't get that, if you don't switch on your feedback loop, how can you decide which is the less and which is the more? Right. And that's why I wrote One Less, One More, Bob, is because, you know, I've advised, I've been doing this a long time, and I, it, it's stunning to me that I, I, I've advised leaders of countries, celebrities that you would know by their first name, sports stars, entrepreneurs who have, who make more money in a day than all of us would make, could be in a lifetime. And yet, behind closed doors, they have the same insecurities that we do. They have the same questions about life. Why am I here? What is my purpose? Um, everyone feels like a phony on some level. I had the president of the United States tell me once that in, in the first couple months of, of his presidency, he felt like a phony every day because he woke up and everyone said, hey, Mr. President, he woke up in, in, you know, in, 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 in the White House, and yet he still knew himself as the guy who, you know, went through his childhood and who kids made fun of and who, you know, some of the girls didn't like. And, and he still feels that way. And yet that's what all of us feel like. And yet once we come to consider, just consider, that we were born to do great things, and that doesn't mean, I mean, it could mean to be a Grammy or an Oscar winner, but it could also mean to be a great parent, to be a great boss, to be to recognize that leadership is 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 vision and and true leadership is being able to understand that we that we all want to have something greater than us that we can follow and great leaders understand that but they also understand that they have to get over their insecurity of saying i mean who am i to ask these people to follow me and the bigger question is, is why not you, right? So we all have to overcome insecurities or feelings of not being worthy or not being good enough. And that's why I wrote One Less, One More is because this is a day-to-day handbook for following your heart so that you don't have to say, wait a minute, I need to get to where I want to go tomorrow or I'm a failure. And that's why the last chapter of One Less, One More is about mastery. It's about less perfection and more practice because perfection does not exist. There is nowhere in nature that perfection exists. And if you seek perfection, you, it will always result in failure. Mm. 
and disappointment and, and lost dreams. I mean, it, it's just a negative spiral that you're looking at. Well, perfection doesn't exist. I mean, you know, Steven Spielberg said that if, if any movie maker, if they're honest, uh, if they didn't have to finish their movie, they wouldn't. And uh, I believe it was, I believe it was Michelangelo who said that um, all art is not finished, it's abandoned, right? So I wrote one less, one more, and as soon as I turned it into the publisher, there were all of these things that I wanted to, to, to fix and to change. And now that, you know, that it's been out for, you know, a couple of months and, and seeing the reaction that we're getting, I, 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 I want to change this and change that. And, but again, for, for, the, for my friends who are movie makers or who make music or who also write or journalists or entrepreneurs, we all feel that way. And, and that's why a good plan today is better than a perfect plan tomorrow, right? Is that a perfect plan doesn't exist. There is no perfection. And that's why for us to, to choose to practice life mastery, which is to come more from the heart than the head, and really to, to acknowledge that life is an adventure. And what can we do to find our purpose? That's, that's where we are. And it, it, it'll result in disappointment. It'll result in failure. It'll result in, in I mean, I can tell you that I've faced financial collapse and, and, and financial difficulty several times in my life where I never knew how I was going to get out of it. Well, I'm not alone. I've, you know, I've been married before. I'm not alone in that. Um, you know, I've had, uh, you know, I've, I had an unknown health problem that, you know, shook me to the core. Who hasn't? But we all choose to either be victims or victors. And if you choose to be a victim, then you'll always think of a way that poor me, you know, why didn't I get this? Why didn't this happen? Why did this happen to me? You'll never get the whys. There are no answers to the whys. But if you choose to be a victor and to say, okay, so I had this happen to me, or this person did this, or this happened, what can I do with this? How can I make this a better story? And, and Bob, that's why the question that we all need to ask ourselves is, is at the end of the day, at the end of our lives, do we want to be dust or do we want to be ash? Because if we're dust, we're just a collection of everyone else's dirt and dead skin and we're sweeped off into a corner and we're cleaned out because it has no purpose. But if we're ash, we're all used up. We were once something, and there's nothing left to us but ash. And by the way, ash is wonderful in a compost heap. And, you know, we talk about being thrown off a, you know, having our ashes thrown off a bridge or whatever. But the point is, is that I don't want to die with the music in me. I don't want to die saying, I could have been a better dad. I could have been a better leader. I could have been a better husband. Why didn't I take that risk that was a calculated risk? And I talk about that in One Less, One More, too, that there's a difference between hesitation and procrastination. Hesitation is that pause. You know when you press the accelerator and your car pauses just for a moment while, you know, that the extra gas goes in and there's that pause and then, oof car takes off. That's hesitation. Procrastination is the conscious decision to stop yourself 
from doing what it is that you want to do that's going to help you get closer to fulfilling your dreams and desires. So, um, you know, if it's if you want to go on Match.com to find, find a spouse and you keep procrastinating um, writing that, you know, your, your, your profile, or if you want to write a script to a movie um, and you keep procrastinating it, you know, again, so many people will tell me, well, I don't know that I could write it and I'm going to get rejected. But I will tell you this. If you don't ask a question, the answer will always be no. Yeah, that's my favorite. <laughs> if you don't ask a question, if you don't do an action, you can be sure that nothing will happen. And that's what One Less, One More is about. It's a handbook that you can keep by your bedside, that you can carry with you, and that you can use on a day-to-day -day level for helping you to make the choices that you need to, to fulfill your dreams and desires, no matter how large or small they may be. Hmm. You know, it's interesting because a lot of the things you're telling me about remind me so much of, of Zen philosophy and, and uh, of a, a Zen approach to life, which is life is a perpetual challenge and it's a never-ending thing. And so many people are in stuck. It's like, oh, I'm going to work for this many years and then I'm going to make some money and then I'm going to retire and then I'm going to do something. It's like, no, that's not what life is. Life is doing Life is being conscious and and giving in a way that's self uh, selfless, and I think if more people live that way, they'd be a lot happier. Yes, I agree with you, and I also will say that one of the beauty of of one of the one of the beauty of one less one more is is that there is great truth in Christianity. There is great truth in Judaism. There is great truth in Islam and in Hinduism, um, there's also great truth in an orgasm. There's also great truth in the hug of a child. There's also great truth in a flower or a tomato plant. Um, and exactly what you were saying, Bob, is that, you know, life isn't tomorrow and life isn't yesterday. Life is only now. And where we are in this moment, Exactly, right here. What in whatever you're, you know, right now you're listening to the sound of my voice, and right where we are is the end to your to, uh, to your past. Your past ended at this moment, but your future hasn't begun yet in this moment. So you have the opportunity, scientifically, philosophically, emotionally spiritually, religiously, in this moment to make a decision to choose to either go and to follow your head to live someone else's story or to go and to follow your heart and to start moving in the direction of your dreams and desires. And once you realize that this point where we are in this moment is the end to your past and the beginning to your future and that you can choose right now to step right instead of left, to go up instead of down, to open your heart 
and to, and to move in the direction of your curiosity, your passion, instead of saying, I'm going to do what somebody else tells me, or I'm going to allow my fears to dictate where I am. Just by taking that one more step to consciously choosing the one less of what hasn't worked to this point, and to choose one more in the direction of your dreams and desires. Bob, you have started to change your future. You are now on a new path. And the future, if you continue that one step at a time, you will then not only hear what Confucius said about the beginning of the longest journey begins with one tiny footstep, but you will experience it. You know, that by that last word, experiencing it, that is, I think, a fundamental flaw in, in a lot of people. And it, let's just go right back to business. If you're not experiencing your business in a conscious way, how can you follow your business plan? How can you grow your business? How can you listen to your consumer uh, customers and, and create better products? You can't. And it's such a fundamental thing that so many people are blinded to. That's right. And and you're what you're what you're saying is I think that I don't know the exact saying, but you know, if if you somebody tells you something, you don't understand it as much as if you see it. Uh, but the way to truly understand something is to experience it. You know, um, I, I could talk about an ice cream cone to someone who's never had an ice cream cone before, but until you lick it, until you taste it, until you 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 truly understand um, what that experience of an ice cream cone, you, you can't understand an ice cream cone. Wet does not describe what it feels like to be immersed in water. And there's, you know, you talked about Zen. There's a wonderful Zen story about a, a student who came to the Zen master and said, Master, I'd like to know the secret to life. And the master said, fine, take a shower. The student said, okay. And he went off and he came back. He said, I'm clean now, master. What's the secret to life? And the master said, I told you, go take a shower. The student goes and he says, I don't understand this, but okay, I'll try to get cleaner. And he comes back and he says, master, I think I'm cleaner. What's the secret to life? And the master looks at him and holds his head in his hands and looks into his eyes and says, take a shower. And the Zen student got it. What he realized was, is that he was thinking that the, his master was telling him to get clean. What his master was telling him was to experience the feeling of the water, the stepping into the under the water, the feeling of the temperature, whatever it may be. So we so often in business, leaders will, will, will tell their customers what they do. What do they stand for? What are they going to experience? What's the benefit? And that's, again, why I wrote One Less, One More, is so that they will take the time to not only help themselves to experience and express their own truth, but to understand their customer so that they can better help their customer experience their unique truth and how it's going to benefit them. 
Yeah, it, it, it you know that it's it's kind of ironic because one of the first things I do with a client is I'll ask them, well, who's your target demographic? Using those specific words because it's such a clinical thing of doing, and they they say, oh, we're talking marketing, and they kind of go into marketing headspace, and they're not in the moment, and they don't get it. it's very much like the saying, have a shower. It's like no, who who is your demographic? Do you really, really, really understand who your demographic is? Because quite frankly, I don't think you do. Have you talked to your demographic? Like you, yourself, talk to your demographic. Have you helped your demographic in a fundamental way? Just you and one of them. And 99.9% of the people have never, ever done that. I mean, people that run a grocery store, have you gone to the grocery store? Have you put the carrots in the place and then explained to somebody the benefits of a carrot and then they bought the carrots? That's your job. But you don't get that because you're so far removed from it because you're in a supply and demand headspace. That's not what your customers want. Yeah. Why do they want carrots? You know, what you're talking about is also what's so often missing with the people that I advise and no matter where you are in the world is they'll tell me what they do. And I'll say, well, what do you stand for? And they'll say, well, what do you mean? What, what do we stand for? I say, well, what's your unique truth? What's, what's your point of view on the world? And they'll say, well, I don't know. And I'll say, well, where's your enthusiasm? And they say, what do you mean enthusiasm? And yet how many times, Bob, have you met someone whether it's a garbage collector or a swimming pool cleaner or a doctor or anyone, anyone who's enthusiastic, they will, you're just captivated by their enthusiasm because enthusiasm is the word in theos. It comes from the Greek meaning in God, you know, inspiration comes from in spirit, you know, in, in, uh, enlightenment in light all of these terms have a, have the essence of people who are in their heart not their head who are sharing with you their passion that they have followed their heart that they've discovered their spirit and here's a test ask a hundred people the definition of communications Ask them if they know the word communications. A hundred people will tell you that they do. Ask them the definition, and I guarantee you that 99, maybe 100, will not be able to tell you that communication is simply two words, shared comprehension. And in order to share comprehension, since there's no way for us to, to, to have conscious mental telepathy today. How do we get people to share our comprehension, to share what we know? If we have a product or a service that we want someone to really to, to buy or to use, we have to be able to be enthusiastic, passionate. We have to be more interested in their needs and how we're a solution and to be able to take the time to understand that maybe today they don't need our product or service, but we can still help them in some way. That's following your heart. And every business, just like every person, has a heart, has a soul. And if you don't know what it is, your competitor knows what theirs is. And that's why number one brands, 
number one leaders, people who will always, you will hear talk at, at conferences, people who you'll hear on, on, on the television. It's not that they're the smartest. It's not that they know more. It's that they're more passionate. They're more enthusiastic and, and maybe even opinionated. You may not agree with them, but you'll certainly feel their experience. And that's why, again, the subtitle for One Less, One More is follow your heart, be happy, and change slowly. Because in order for someone to say, wait a minute, Bob, I get it. I understand now one less, one more. Have to, it's, 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 it's an ageless formula. I've got to do less of what doesn't work and, and more of what does. If you don't allow yourself to change slowly, then you're going to be frustrated and this system will break. You've got to recognize that incremental sustainable change is so much better than a quick fix. Well, it goes back to like the, the, the classic uh, get rich quick scams or scams or, or, or mentality. Scheme, yeah. Scheme, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you do this and you're going to be rich. And it's like, no, it doesn't work that way. You work hard over a long period of time, something you believe in and that you're enthused and, and excited about. And people believe in the same thing and, and like your enthusiasm and like your product to, or your service. They will follow you to the end of the earth. And that is what success is. It's not making a bunch of money. It's helping people for a long time. You know, there's a wonderful movie, Field of Dreams. Oh, amazing, yeah. And James Earl Jones says to um, Kevin Costner when he's saying, you've got to build this, you've got to build this. And he gives a speech and he says, Ray, Ray, people will walk up to you like, like kids in a candy store and they'll hand over their money and they won't know why. I mean, it's, it's, it's so true, Bob, that, you know, one of the things that you, I believe is, is that in everything you do, you will become extraordinarily successful if you provide greater use value than dollar value. So in other words, my book is approximately $25. I mean, in Canada, it's uh, 29.95 in Canadian dollars. I know that from the results, I know it sounds like I'm plugging my book. I'm not. What I'm saying is, is that if you spend 30 Canadian and you, and you read the book and it inspires you to go out and start a business or to be a better leader or to be a better manager, I know that the use value will be so much greater than the dollar value. If everyone did that, if everyone said, I'm going to provide greater use value of my product or service than dollar value, we wouldn't have so much upset with the pharmaceutical companies, the banks, the, you know, the, the government, etc., because we wouldn't feel like people are trying to gouge us all the time. It, it's, it's a fundamental shift that has to change. And, you know, we could go on forever, but we're not. Uh, one less, one more. Follow your heart. Be happy. Change slowly. I've had Robbie on the line. And Robbie, where do people want to go to learn more? The easiest way is is either one less, one more dot com or Vorhaus. Simply Vorhaus. My last name, V is in victory, O-R-H-A-U-S, uh, is my Twitter feed. 
Um, everything will point you to everything else. Um, we'd love to see you on Facebook. We'd love to see you on Twitter. We'd love to see you on Instagram. Um, we'd love to see you to our website. Please sign up and you can get, uh, we do offer free chapters of the book um, at vorehouse.com. And uh, if you'd like to send me an email, I'd love to hear from you. It's Robbie, R-O-B-B-I-E at vorehouse.com. And um, my thanks to you for, I, I couldn't, I wouldn't, couldn't be here if you didn't follow your heart and do these wonderful podcasts. It, it, for, I know for me and for other people who have been on your show, we are so grateful and uh, thank you for this. Well, I, I appreciate it. And you know what? I love it when I have somebody like you on my show because I think it gives such amazing value. And uh, for people listening to the show, I know they can't wait uh, to get another one of these uh, great interviews to happen. Well, thank you so much, Bob. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that show. And do me a favor and tweet about it. Follow us on Facebook if you haven't done that already. We really appreciate it. See you next week.